expanding the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. In case you didn't know, you found Down and Nerdy, and we have no idea what the star date is, but we do know we're on episode 51. We are on episode 51, and as always, I'm the Merc with One Arm, Nick Pataglia, alongside... I'm James Witham, and man, we are just still so pumped up about our live 50th episode from Dave and Buster's in Virginia Beach. Exactly, so people who don't know, and if you haven't heard, and if you've been living underneath a rock, pretty much, um, we had our 50th episode of Dave and Buster. It was a really good turnout, despite the snow warning, which we beat, um, and we had a really good time. Uh, a lot of great prizes, and thank you to Dave and Buster's, to Bob over at Fantasy Escape, Comics and Cards, uh, and Aragorn Boulevard. We're actually going to be doing a live show from Bob's on Free Comic Book Day, May 2nd, and again, thank you to Red Bull Landing for offering some uh, awesome prizes as well. Absolutely. They're also in Virginia Beach. It's just nice to know that we're getting you know all kinds of new support and new sponsors. You know, Bob's been with us since the beginning. Now we've got Dave and Buster's and Red Mill coming on board. Um, it's just really nice to see people supporting the show and just you for listening to the show. Thank you so much for taking, you know, time out of your day to do that. I mean, I know we say that a lot, but we want you to know how much we really do appreciate each and every one of you listening to the show every week. Exactly. I mean, it was really nice. I mean, we were one thing. We, I'm not going to lie. We were worried about the turnout because we're like, we know. People are going to come out, but the thing was, again, we had the snow warning, so it yep. was like, you know, how many people are going to come out? We don't know. Uh, but we had a good turnout. A lot of great, you know, audience interaction. I actually talked to Matt Slay a couple days ago um, on the phone, and he said he listened to it. One of the great things was the audience interaction. He, in fact, you could hear the audience and them just yelling at us and saying certain things. It was great. It was really fun. You know, it's funny because people who haven't seen our equipment. They kind of look at it and they go, oh, that's interesting. That's different. You know, you're expecting yeah. you know, like all these giant mixers and stuff. We actually like to use the equipment that we use because it actually picks up the stuff that's around us, which is exactly what we want. We want to hear you yelling from across the room if you're at one of our live events. We want to hear you interrupting us. We want people to hear that on the show later, too. So we feel like that's an important part of what we're doing. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we have we run a very inexpensive operation pretty much just from our equipment to everything else. I mean, granted, outside the laptops, I mean, those are the most expensive thing. But, mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to, like, the, the recording software and everything else, no, it was fun. I mean, you know, we hooked up. We had the stuff going over speakers. It turned out really, really well. Um, and, you know, it was my uncle's birthday, actually, that day, too. So, we can't glad he came out with my cousins and they Wow, I didn't even it. know it was his birthday. I, I met him for the first time and had no idea it was his birthday. Yeah. Oh, happy belated birthday. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that was our, you know, our, our 50th episode. And, I mean, it's taken off like a rocket. A lot of people are downloading it. Almost 200 downloads, which is awesome. Um, but then again, you know, that was, you know, Wednesday. And then of course, James, we got some sad news over the weekend. Yeah. It was the, uh, the passing of, I can easily say legend, uh, Leonard Nimoy to us here, just not in the nerd world, but in, you know, in Hollywood in general, the guy was just a legend. So I know I said in our 50th episode that we were going to be interviewing the people from the Harley Quinn web series this week. We're going to push that back week because Nick and I talked about it. We decided that it would be a good idea to dedicate this week's show to the memory of Leonard Nimoy. So our main topic this week, we're actually going to be talking about Leonard Nimoy and the whole live long and prosper, you know, what it's like to do, you know, what that means to us and maybe to you. And so we just decided that that would be a good thing to do this week. 
Exactly. And again, I just want to shout out to the people who at the Harley Quinn uh, web series for being understanding and they were understanding and, you know, and having to push back the interview a week, which is, you know, I said this was un- unexpected. You know, I, we, I woke up and I saw that he had passed and I was like, it, it really hit me hard. Like, we'll talk more mm-hmm. about it in the main topic. But I mean, that's what we're going to be talking about today. So like one thing I did actually um, really quickly over the weekend was I, I texted my buddy Rod on Friday. And of course, it was the day Leonard Nimoy died. And I said, "Do you want to like go grab a?" Because he's a nerd too, and he was at the show. And I said, "Do you want to go grab a beer in honor of Leonard Nimoy?" He said, "Yeah, let's do that." So we went to uh, to a restaurant and had dinner, and we had a beer, and we toasted to Leonard Nimoy. Do you remember what the toast was? Was there a specific? You know how people say, you know, there's no. a certain verbiage. No, we just said I just we just raised our glasses. We had huge ass glasses um, of beer. It was great, uh, but. You know, we I just raised it. We cleaned glasses. I said, you know, to Leonard Nimoy, and he, my friend, just said, "Live long and prosper." So much like Spock, very short, simple, and to the point. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. It wasn't as he would say, fascinating, but <laughs> you know, it was no, it was it was you know, just short, sweet, to the point. Let's still get more into that as well. Also, this week we're going to be talking about Michelle Rodriguez's comments about the Green Lantern uh, rumors. Uh, a lot of people were backlash on her that week. We're also going to talk about. The Unreal Engine actually is going to be given out pretty much people for free and to let them use for their pleasure, which is actually a pretty cool thing in video game news. Um, and also the much controversial Power Rangers uh, fan film. We're going to talk about that in Geek Tamit. Oh, yeah. And James has some very strong feelings about that. But as always, that's going to do it for our first segment. But coming up. It's what we're reading. Two new comics. What do we choose this week? Stay tuned and find out. Well, it's that time, nerds. We got those long boxes to discuss what we're reading this week. And James, I'm going to have you go first. Okay, so given the events that happened uh, with the passing of Leonard Nimoy, this is actually a comic that I've been saving uh, for a while. And I was going to f- wait for the right time. And I thought that, you know, now is as good a time as any to break out my Star Trek number three. From Gold Key Publishing, 1968. <laughs> oh, wow. And it was actually one of, I think it was around 62 issues that Gold Key published. Here's the weird thing, though, is that there's no credits for these books. Really? A lot of the writers are kind of a mystery for the books. There's no credit. I mean, there's some chatter on the internet as to who wrote certain issues, but there's never really been any com- confirmation. Now, we do know the artist is a, an Italian guy named Alberto Giolitti, who actually did the artwork starting with this issue, which was issue three. Now, I have an idea. Now, the reason why you said that he doesn't, people know who the writers are, could it be because... They wanted to seem like a real, actual captain's log, in a sense. I think that that could be part of it. I think that also, um, remember, this was a different time. It wasn't as important then as it is now to make sure you're giving people credit for their for their work. I mean, I know there's been controversies about that over the years. Actually, these comics were a little bit controversial, too, because, you know, the TV series was running at the time. They kind of went away from the canon of the TV series and some of these issues uh, when they did a little bit later on in the run, they started to kind of match it up a little bit more, but it's just very interesting because the cover of it, actually, if you want to Google it at any point, just Google star Trek gold key. Number three, the cover is actually not a illustrated cover. It's a photograph and it just happens to be Spock is the main person featured on the on the cover and also a little shot of the rest of the crew of the Enterprise in the lower left-hand corner. Now, as far as the issue itself, it's uh, 
The subtitle of the issue is actually Invasion of the City Builders. Okay. And it's kind of interesting, given, now remember, we're 1968 here is when this issue was uh, was published. And the gist of it was, they're exploring a, a, a an alien planet, shocking, because it's Star Trek. Um, and they, have, they name it um, Planet Question Mark at first. And it turns out it was a planet, Zatar, I believe was the name of it. Um, basically, the gist of it was, it was a civilization that built, uh, that didn't want to do any labor. So they built machines to do all their work for them. And shockingly, the machines end up having a mind of their own and kind of turn on them and start destroying their society. And basically, it's taking up their land so they can't grow crops anymore and the civilization's dying off. Now, of course, um, once the crew of the Enterprise gets there, they beam down. uh, They kind of find out what's going on. And, you know, they try and help the people as much as they can. Now, the guy that's running this civilization, his name is Krill, who at first he's kind of understanding, but then when the crew of the Enterprise starts kind of taking over and helping, he gets pissed off because he's like, now my people are only listening to them. And he starts turning on on Spock and Kirk and the guys that are helping. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's kind of like... To go on a little bit of a tangent, I was watching the X-Men animated series on Hulu. I'm actually doing that right now. Not during the show, but I mean, I'm doing it right now and going through all the seasons. And there's one episode, I can't think of the name, but it's in the first season. And Wolverine goes to this Inuit tribe. And, of course, there's this other uh, Inuit uh, character who is, like, trying to teach him how to fish. And Wolverine's outdoing him. And he ends Mm -hmm. up actually going to Sabretooth saying, Wolverine's making a you know a, a big mess out of me and you know he's making me a joke and I want revenge on him. And of course, lo and behold, Sabretooth burns down the whole Inuit village and the guy's like, what did I do kind of a thing. Yeah, it's just weird that that, that, that would happen. And, there, and that is a parallel to that for sure. Um, of course, you know, it's, it's classic. It's in some moments in this book, it's classic Spock. You know, he's using that scientific mind of his. And then there's other points in the book, like the way it's written, there's a lot of exclamation points. And I'm like, Spock wouldn't really use any exclamation points. That's a little out of character. So I think it's sometimes, and I can't say who the, I don't know who the writer is. So it's not like I can really criticize the person. Uh, it seemed like that there were some out of character moments, moments for Spock, but the art for being 1968 was actually pretty detailed, especially with the, with the art on Spock. I will say that the uh, that the people of this planet actually looked in the face a little bit like Planet of the Apes. Okay. So it kind of reminded me of the Star Trek Planet of the Apes thing that IDW is doing right now. Yeah. So um, that was a little weird. That, of course, they weren't eight people. They were just regular uh, alien-type people. But it just it seemed weird that it looked like the Planet of the Apes at the time. Um, I won't spoil the ending for you. There are trades if you ever wanted to go out and get this that you can get. You can also find them digitally, I think, in a couple of different places. So I won't spoil the ending for you. But it was really interesting how a comic written in 1968, there was it was almost like a commentary on how we shouldn't let machines do everything for us. It was almost like a foreshadowing kind of thing that they'd be worried about that. It was kind of like a 1984 kind of thing, Orson Welles-esque type of thing, right? It was very much like that. So, I mean, it was it was a very interesting issue. Uh, I thought that this was the right week to do it. I think that uh, they're definitely worth checking out. I wouldn't automatically rush to pull these because, again, 1968, things were a little different. This wasn't the gold standard of uh, of comic book fandom here, I don't think. Uh, now, hardcore Trekkies, you'll love this. Go ahead and go ahead and go out and find it wherever you can. And uh, I'm, I, I did enjoy it. It was nice to. It was a nice change of pace, and I think I thought it was a nice way to uh, to honor the memory of Leonard Nimoy as well, being that he was on the cover and he was one of the main feature characters in this issue. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, so, so that's something, like, it's pretty interesting. The fact that you went way back. I mean, we've gone back on the show with, like, comics, but as far as we've ever gone, like, 90s. The fact that we went into the 60s, I think it shows a lot of, like you said, the art style and the writing and everything else. And, I wish know, I knew said, who the writer was. Right. You know, who knows? Maybe it was Kirk himself. Because like I said, maybe they wanted to make it like that Captain's Log-esque type of thing. Like you're reading the journal, if you will, of the crew in a sense. You did get that scientific aspect in here, though. And uh, they actually used elemental names and stuff like that, which I thought was was very cool. But um, I just I just thought it was it was a good time. And I think it should. And this is not a trade either. The, I, this is the actual issue from 1968 that I've had stored up for a long, long time. Now, I've actually got one other issue, but I decided to go with this one since Spock was on the cover. Quick thing before I get to my comic, how the hell did you get a copy of that? Um, actually, when I was collecting comics when I was younger, uh, when I lived in New Hampshire, they used to, I won't get too far into it, but there used to be these big flea markets. Anybody that lives in the North, you know about flea markets. Yep. They don't really do them here in the South as much, but it was a gigantic flea market, and anytime I would see you know, any comics or they would, they would usually sell them in, in a bundle. And, uh, my mom or my, or my Nana would always get me some comics and that's how I would start to build my collection. Now I don't have all of my collection from when I was a kid, but this is one of the ones that, that survived the move to, to Virginia beach. So I'm very grateful that I was able to hang on to it. Nice. Very, very nice. Well, I decided to go, uh, DC route this week. I wasn't go wow. with, yeah, I wasn't go with, um, Spider-Man issue number 15, which was the epilogue to Spider-Verse. But I did that a couple weeks ago. I wanted to switch it up. So I decided to do something we both like, James, which is Deathstroke number 5. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Now, of course, it's written by Tony S. Daniel. The art by is by Tomo uh, Murray, who did the colors. The inks are by Sandu Florian. Let me just get this off right now. The art is phenomenal. People it who really is. Up it's really, really phenomenal. Oh, you've read it already. No, I, I'm on issue four right now. I haven't read issue five yet. Okay. But I do know about the art. I do know. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, people who don't know haven't really been following it. So Deathstroke is back in Gotham. He's looking for his son, uh, who's being hunted by his grandfather, who is, of course, Deathstroke's dad. Uh, and he has this whole power thing, kind of like this big being that his dad want, his grandfather wants to like, harness and control and stuff. And Deathstroke, anyway, he's back in Gotham, and he ends up getting double-crossed by Harley Quinn, uh, who pretty much does it because she thinks he betrayed the Suicide Squad. Anybody that uh, doesn't know, by the way, it, is, it was Harley Quinn month last month for DC, so it kind of makes sense that Harley would show up in an issue of Deathstroke. Go on. Yep. Uh, and so he gets confronted by Batman, while Deathstroke, of course, is looking for his son, and, of course, Harley has other plans. I'm not going to spoil there because they are pretty big. I'm not going to spoil the ending because the ending is huge. Because um, we see somebody come back from a prior issue who we thought only was in that one issue. Let's put it that way. And it was shocking when I read the person came back. So, anyways, during this whole Batman Deathstroke fight, it's so awesome. It was written so amazing. Because for anybody who's seen the new Sherlock Holmes movies... When Sherlock Holmes is fighting, he says, you know, like, left punch to the right rib and stuff like that. Well, Deathstroke is like, okay, I'll let him punch me, and now I'm going to roll, and I'm going to do this and that. And it's it's him pretty much in his head thinking out his attacks while him and Batman are fighting. So you're actually getting the internal monologue of what's going on. That is just awesome. And it's so that. great. And the art is so great because it's detailed. It's not like, you know, you can see all of Batman's suit. It's really, really great. Uh, fantastic job. The writing is great. Like I said, 
the the fight is just it's literally like four or five pages long, and it's just they're beating the hell. As it out should of each be, other. as it should be. They're beating the hell out of her. And plus, the one thing about this too is it's Deathstroke. So it's like, okay, he has that kind of quote unquote super soldier serum in him kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now remember, back in the first issue, he got rejuvenated. He got brought back to his younger form where he has both his eyes. Right. And one thing that's interesting is we're seeing that become a detriment to Deathstroke. And how, you know, when he's fighting, he's like, I feel like I'm a bit slower since being, you know, brought back to my original self. And now he's like, I have this mask on. He's like, I can see with two eyes and it's messing me up. And it's just like he's so keen on being how he was before that now that he's younger, it's really it's negative towards him instead of being, as most cases would point to be positive. Cause you think, That's oh, kind of crazy. Well, you think because he's stronger, he'd be faster and everything else. But yeah. no, because he was older, because he had the one eye, he was used to fighting with one eye. So now that he has the two, both eyes, and he can see through the right side of the mask, he goes, it's messing with him because he can see a little bit. It's not as dark as you know he would want to be, so he can fight with the one eye. So it's do you just- think? Do you think that if you ever at some point there the science was advanced enough and you got your arm back, the arm that you're missing, would that kind of at first you think that would mess you up? Like oh, God, wait a minute, yes. I'm not used to having this. Even I mean, it sounds weird because you think it would be easier, and I'm sure obviously some things would be, but would it be would it be kind of a detriment to you at the beginning? I would think so. Oh, it would be because like I would have to relearn everything. That's the thing is that whenever you get something back, like in, like in my case, an arm or a Deathstroke's case, an eye, you have to relearn everything. You have to learn. That's why he was slower because it's like he has to see everything with both eyes. Whereas you know when he had the one eye, his senses are a little bit more heightened, and he can just go off of that. And whereas him and Batman, it was a pretty much even fight. You know, I mean, it was it was very bloody and everything else, and it was really a really good fight. And the the ending is just like, oh my god, the ending. A lot is, of them have been actually. Yeah, a lot of the issues have been. And I'm not gonna spoil it, but the ending was just it's one of those things where it's like, I want issue number six. I I really want it. And this is a definite pull for me. This is a constant pull for me. Um, so far, they're on the right track. Uh, Maury and Florida have done a great job with the art, and Daniel's just done a great job with the writing. It was, it was really, really, it's been really, really phenomenal. I, I, again, this is a definite, definite pull for me. You're going to love it too. When you got issue number five, when oh, you sure. read the ending and you see who comes back and how it ends, you're going to see, you're going to, you're going to be shocked. You're going to text me, dude. And you're going to be like, dude, wow. I, I think that, um, when they first relaunched the new 52, they actually had a Deathstroke series back then too. And I actually got a couple issues of that. Cause I've always loved the character and, they do it so they do ju- justice to Deathstroke so much more since they relaunched the series recently than they did back then. Not that those issues were bad, but they kicked everything up a notch and they made it a little bit more violent, a little bit more detailed, and that is kind of what set this apart from the first relaunching of that character. And the, and the one thing I like about this is that they 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 kicked it up a notch, but it's not to the point where it's cartoonish. Right, exactly. And it's not ridiculous, which I'm sure we'll get into in our next segment. <laughs> yes, and that's going to do it for what we're reading this week. So we both have polls this week. Again, James did Star Trek by Gold Key, number three, and I did Deathstroke number five. They're both polls. And again, this segment is brought to you by Fancy Escape Comics and Cards and Aragorn Boulevard. Go check out Bob. See how his, his figures, all his comics. And, you know, again, we can't, you know, Pump up Bob enough. He does a great job with us and, you know, steer us towards in the right direction in certain cases when it comes to what should we add to our polls. Uh, so, again, go check out Fanscape Comics and Cards. And coming up next, it's Geek Tainment, where we talk about the Power Rangers fan film and all its guts and shots to the head and 
Not childlike things. Coming up in Geek Tainment. Stay tuned. We're down nerdy. Coming up next. All right, fellow nerds, make sure you go, go to the bathroom early because you're going to want to stick around for the entirety of this segment because we were talking about this week in Geek Tainment and this week, oh boy, we have a little <laughs> bit different take on our beloved Power Rangers. Well, my beloved Power Rangers, you weren't really a fan. You said on the previous show, you're like, oh, I wasn't really much of a fan. It wasn't my thing. It was a generational thing. I was a little bit older. I never really got into it. My cousins were super into it. So I've seen, you know, not every show, but I've caught, I caught shows here and there. I know this is much more in your wheelhouse. So I was actually, it was, it's, it's interesting because we'll have different perspectives on this because I'm actually watching this with like for a fresh pair of eyes, not knowing a whole lot about the original series, knowing enough, but you are, you know, you're Mr. Power Ranger fan here. You and Sam <laughs> yes. over at Dave and Buster's are big Power Rangers fans. So it's it's going to be a very interesting segment, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, my ringtone is the Power Rangers theme yes, song. Yes, that is true. So, uh, but anyways, so this was a fan film. It was Power Rangers. And it was produced by Eddie Shankar, who produced films like Dread. He produces Grey. and also did Lone Survivor. And this was directed by Joseph Kahn. I was also co-written by James Vanderbeek, who played Rocky, who was the Red Ranger who took after Jason uh, in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers uh, show. And then you have Katie Sackhoff, who was Kimberly as well. I was interested that she was Kimberly and not uh, Kat, who was... Yeah. I say that because Kat, she looked a lot more like her. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm shocked they went with the Kimberly route. Um, and I'm also kind of shocked that, you know, we'll get into this more as we talk about the, sh- the movie, but... They had more of a love triangle with her and Jason. How she was married to Jason. Um, that was short lived, but yeah, you're just you're telling me. You know, <laughs> that was very short lived. Um, but before we dive into the movie itself, I want to get into what the actual people who played the Rangers in the show thought. Now, JDF Jason David Frank, who played, of course, Tommy Oliver, said, you know. He said, I'm a PG-13 guy. It wasn't something I really enjoyed. He goes, you know, and it was some of those things where it's like he said, you know, uh, they asked me to do it and to be in it, but I said no. Cause it's, and it's like, do I want something that's licensed by Saban and, you know, end up, A, getting paid for it or B, right. something that can make me an internet god, if you will. Um, well, he's then, like the Power Rangers ambassador right now. Oh, so, I mean, if if anybody's opinion matters on this, it's his. It is, and and then but then you had all the other Power Rangers people who played on the the Mighty Morphin show. They they liked it a lot and everything. And you know, like I said, hey, that's their opinion. Now, when we watched it, and I want James to go first because. You had the more interesting take. Now, if you don't know, if you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash down there, you scroll down. I posted a picture of a text conversation James and I had. James was live texting me, him watching the Power Rangers fan film. Uh, so go ahead, James, and tell us what you thought about it. Well, I mean, now again, I'm watching this kind of with fresh eyes because I'm not um, I'm not the big Power Rangers fan that, that you are. But I'm watching this. And I didn't really know, I seriously didn't know what to expect going in, because you didn't tell me anything about it. Uh, I'd just seen all the chatter online. So, I get a few minutes into it, and I, and I text her, I say, seriously, what am I looking at right now? They're way overdoing the blood. And they did. I mean, they yeah. way, way overdid it. Yeah. With me, with me, like, when I first saw the opening of them shooting machine guns, it literally, I'm like, I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm out. And, I mean, to me, it was like they were treating them all as child stars who lost their minds for some reason. <laughs> all of them. Not every ranger. When they were going execution style through every ranger uh, on the list, it seemed like, 
every one of them seemed to be messed up in their own way. It's if like you think the, about it. It's like the Eat Your Hollywood Story, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, pretty much. And I've never seen anybody overuse blood splatter on the camera like this short did. I mean, it was yeah. every second it was like, well, what should we do here? What about blood splatter on the camera? Okay, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. And uh, how about James Vanderbeek and his How to Use a Sword in Seven Easy Days class that he took for the <laughs> end of this thing? I mean, come on, dude. And stop trying to be hardcore, okay? You're, Just you're stop it. Just you're stop it, Dawson. Just stop it, Dawson. Just stop. And, 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 and like I said, I'm not even a Power Rangers fan, but watching this actually made me lose my will to live. As really? It, it's it, just, I, I'm like, what am I doing? And then at the end, can I spoil the ending? Oh, yes. This is spoiler filled. Okay, so here's a spoiler alert. When when Katie Sackhoff ends up not being Kimberly and she ends up being Rita, what's her name? Repulsa. Yeah. What the hell was that about? So she decided to play it cool for 12 minutes until the end and be like, oh, wait, no, I'm not Kimberly and sheds her Kimberly and skin and decides to become Rita Repulsa. It would have been more interesting if they left her as Kimberly, I thought. Well, and there's the thing, too. Now I'm going to start from the beginning. And I, the thing was, I think the the woman who played Rita, I believe, actually was the actual woman who played Rita on the show. It looked like it, actually. Um, now, the thing is, the reason why I want to take it to the beginning because it sets up this whole thing. Now, they pretty much had the whole post-apocalyptic, this is the machine empire takes over. First off, can we please have a post-apocalyptic world where the machines don't take over? Like, How about seriously? we just stop doing the whole post-apocalyptic thing over and over and over again? You know, the future might actually work out, people. Obama's only got a couple years left. <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> uh, so, anyways... I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Don't no, you're not, because you're a Republican at heart. Don't lie. Yes, I am. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways... Um, no, so, anyways, like I said, I saw them shooting machine guns, and I'm like... No, like, no, no, no. And then, I'm sorry, but the swearing was definitely unneeded. Oh, it was way out of control. It was way out of control. Um, and I'm sorry, but, you know, I didn't need to see Zach do cocaine and drug uses and everything yeah. else. Um, I didn't need, you know, to see Bulk and Skull doing heroin. And, uh, like I said, you know, and turning Bulk and Skull into, like, a bunch of you know, wannabe gangster guys, like, it, and, or and right. hillbilly dudes. It, was, it felt so out of character from the show, and it's like, did these guys actually watch Power Rangers? Like, really, you know, I mean, I understand, I understand that, you know, Saban had to take down the video on Vimeo and YouTube and had to put it back up if they agreed, and I think that's part of it, because it's like, you know, you got drug references in there, and drug use, and you have, you know, all that swearing, it didn't mesh, it really, I think it took me out, it really took me out of it, but it's like Starship Troopers had angry sex yes. with the Expendables. I mean, I don't understand why it had to be... I mean, if you want to go darker with Power Rangers, fine. I know when we did our fan films episode, there was a Power Rangers um, fan film that was going to be made, and it looked like it was going to be a little bit on the darker side. That trailer, I was into that. That actually looked cool to me. I'm like, all right, let's see where they're going to go with this. But this ends up being a totally different project altogether, and... I think, I mean, you crossed the line here. You went too dark, there's way a, too dark. To me, there's a fine line between going dark and adult. That went adult. You know, dark is like just a tone thing, but adult is like hard R. You know, we're just going to go all out. 
craziness and everything else. You know, now the certain thing I did like about it, though, <clears throat> I want to mention is the character they did with, what they did with Zach, where you know he did go with the hip hop keto and he became this Billy Blanks as character. And how? And the thing was, they said, oh, he became an assassin for the Machine Army because. He was one of those guys, and this is kind of true because this happens. You know, we see it like in a lot of war films and soldier films. You know, remember these are teenagers. Got their powers when they were teenagers, and they're fighting all these evil doing monsters and everything else. And they said he wanted that rush. Like he needed. He, that's why he did it. He did it for the rush, pretty much. And but then again, it was just like the whole scene with him shooting guys and stabbing guys in the throat and the neck and the head. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it was way, way over top. I mean, actually, the sword fight at the end wasn't so bad. No, I mean, if you had stuck with stuff like that, then that would have been fine. But the whole, like you said, the execution style stuff there in, in the in the middle part, I just think that that was just way overdone. The whole interrogation scene you kind of had me for a little bit and then you lost me as it kept going. Now right. I know that, you know, I know the language can get a little adult here on the show too, but I mean, we're not sitting here dropping F bombs every 30 seconds in each other's faces. I mean, that's just, I mean, it, it, it's felt unnatural. It felt so forced. Just like so much of the stuff in this film to me just felt so for it was like, let's be dark for the sake of being dark. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's the thing is, like, I felt it was really went really, really too dark. I think that when you look at it, you know. And, I, and the thing is, I want to say is to people who were commenting on it, saying, "Oh, we need a live action movie." Was, no, we fucking don't. We don't need a ninety minute version of this film. We really, really no, don't. No, no. Oh my god! Think of the massacre at the end of that movie. The only person that would be left standing would be the guy holding the camera, shooting the movie. Because yeah. everybody else would be gone. At the, at the, I mean, look at how many people they killed off in 13, 14 minutes. Uh, they kill off everybody, pretty much. And like I said, they go back to the ending where... Now, remember, if people didn't watch the show, it was Rita who gave Tommy his powers, made him the green, evil Green Ranger. Then he, of course, turned good and everything else. We know the story that happened after that. Um, and it was kind of like, in a sense, a sadistic love story at the end where she says... We can now rule the world together, in a sense. And it's like, honestly, it's like, I was like, why Rita? If you did, like, Lord Zed, that would be even more kick-ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, like right. why why Rita? I don't know. You know, like, she was never really, I'm, I'm sorry, but in the show, she was never really that strong of a, of a villain, of a head villain. It was always Lord Zed, because Lord Zed was that guy who always... You know, when Rita would go off on something, Lord Zed would be like, silence! And he would, you know, when you saw Lord Zed, he was more um, fearful, like, yeah. like fearing. He, he struck fear, like, oh my god, this is a guy who has power and he has a staff. And so Rita had a staff too, but when I looked at Rita, I'm just like, she was just like this one that, that you know, she was a witch, pretty much like a sorceress, and it's like, who just, you know was constantly on her period most of the time. You know, that's what it was. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I mean, I know that we've given a lot of praise to characters on other series and other movies that they made um, way more badass than they were before, like what Arrow did with Captain Boomerang or what uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier did with uh, Bartok the Leaper. I mean... That it, it can be done, but in this particular instance, first of all, she was there for five seconds. Second of all, I, I agree with everything you said. She just wasn't a strong enough character to even make the effort. And the thing is, like, you know, one thing I'll say about Rita is that, 
you know, you could have done much more with her to make her such a stronger character. Instead of making her this woman, that's what I got was that she was this character, this woman who was like, you know, Tommy's always been my love and now we're going to rule the world together. Instead of making her that, you should have given her like some sort of other role instead of being hidden in the body of Kimberly, who was dead, by the way, because Tommy's like, she dies. So Everybody's dead in this thing. Yeah. And yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, that's no, but that's no you, mystery. If you made it to where like, she was the head of the machine army or she was like the, you know what I'm saying? Like she was, no, the I head, see what you're saying. Or like, she was the person who turned Rocky into what he was pretty much. Right. You know, then that'd be cool. But to have her like hidden and stuff like that and have like, this is my plot. It was, eh, Seen it tons and tons of times. So, what's your final take on this? I think I've given mine. I, I just think that I mean they dialed it up way too much. I think I know a lot of people loved it, but I just think they dialed it up way too much and unnecessarily. So, but it is necessary for us to move on now. That was the Power Rangers short from this week in Geek Tamit. Coming up next, we have a nerd load of nerd news, and it's right here on Down and Nerdy. Well, it's that time, nerds and nerdettes alike. We go around the interwebs and the side and look at what's trending this week because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! And we're going to start with a very controversial story in a sense. Now, here's the thing. Now, Michelle Rodriguez, she was asked by TMZ if she was going to be Green Lantern in the reboot film because there's rumors going around that they're going to go with the female Green Lantern in this new movie. And she said, quote, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Yeah, I think it's so stupid. Like, because this whole minorities in Hollywood thing, but it's so stupid. Like, stop stealing, you know, all the white people's superheroes. Like, make up your own. Know what I'm saying? What's up with that? And people got pissed at that. So she later clarified what she meant. And she said, what I really meant was that ultimately, at the end of the day, there was a language and the language that you speak in Hollywood, which is successful franchise. And I think that there are many cultures that are in Hollywood that are not white that could come up with their own mythology. We all get it from the same reservoir of life, the fountain of life. It doesn't matter which culture you come from. Instead of turning a girl character into a guy or instead of turning a white character into a black character or a Latin character, I think people should stop being lazy and people in Hollywood should take the time to develop their own mythology. She is 100% correct. This is something that we talked about a lot, James. We talked about how, you know, we are the people here, you know, who are, hey, if it's the right person for the job, that's fine. But now we're getting, we are, just by looking at what they want to do in the movies now, like with whole, everybody's pushing for Miles Morales and Spider-Man. Yep. And now this whole Green Lantern thing, even though this female Green Lantern has pretty much just been introduced in the comics and doesn't have much of a mythos at all. Uh, you know, it seems like they're forcing it, and that's something we said we didn't want. Like, we're okay with changing stuff, but don't force it, and that's what we're getting to right now. I see nothing what she said was wrong, and a lot of people even on social media I looked at was like, she's totally right. Like, why can't we just people – why so why should they apologize for telling people to be more creative and create new characters or take new characters like Thor's sister, for example, or Lady Sif and just build on them? Because people read headlines. And they react to headlines. They don't actually read what she said and tried to understand it. That's why she had to apologize. Here's the deal with Jessica Cruz. It's not a bad character. Um, first of all, she's not a Green Lantern. Not yet. People have to keep that in mind. If Even if you're reading the comics, basically, I'll, I'll run down the gist of it as quickly as I can. At the end of the Forever Evil arc, the power ring from Earth 3 was, was killed by Sinestro. 
So, you know, what happens when a Green Lantern of any dimension is killed? There goes their ring and tries to find another rightful person. Now, the rings, the Green Lantern rings from Earth 3 are powered by fear. So, Jessica Cruz was basically a woman who... Now, I'm paraphrasing here because it's been a while since I've read this issue, so don't kill me if it's not exactly right, comics fans. Um, Jessica Cruz was a woman who's basically afraid to leave her apartment because she witnessed one of her friends being murdered, and she thinks that the then-murderers are going to be after her now. So, she's basically scared for her life all the time. You know, the, the dozens of padlocks on the doors kind of girl that never wants to open it for anybody. So, the ring finds her, naturally... And turns her into the, and, and the ring kind of takes control of the person that is wearing it. Now, after some, you know, kind of hit or miss things where she almost destroyed the, uh, the, the city, they kind of, the Justice League kind of took her in and now they're going to kind of mentor her. So that's the short version. It's not a bad character, but here's the deal. First of all, it's way too early for her to be introduced in any Justice League movie. I understand if you want to go with the with the way things are now, that's fine. Way too early for her to be in this Justice League movie. Like Nick said, there's no canon there. Um, Michelle Rodriguez is too old to play Jessica Cruz in the first place. I'm not usually a stickler for stuff like that, but we're talking about maybe a 10, 15-year age gap here. This isn't Beverly Hills 90210. we got to find somebody that's <laughs> a little bit closer in age. Well, well, here's the thing, too, is you mentioned... Jessica Cruz is that girl where she gets the ring out of fear. So can you imagine if they did go the Cruz route, how many women would be pissed off? Like, really? The second yeah. female character we get gets her powers because she's afraid of leaving her apartment and through fear, and she's not really a strong character. And it would drive the entire movie, too, because she'd have to at least start out as somewhat of a, of, as a reluctant antagonist in the movie, and that would take the focus off of so many other characters that they should be focusing on. So that's another reason. And DC has never once said they were going to go this route, either. No. This has all been conjecture. It's not like... It, it's it's all like Latino review type stuff where they say this is what's going to happen and it never does. Um, so it's it's one of those things that's been kicked around and I understand why you'd attach Michelle Rodriguez to it, but she's not even right for the part. That's the thing. She's more of like the badass female character. Yeah. And there has not been one single issue that Jessica Cruz has been in where she is any kind of a badass. She's scared for her life all the time. So, yeah. I mean, she's not the right person for the job. I understand why you'd want to bring her in to the superhero realm. I could see her being um, being in that realm as maybe an antagonist, maybe Cheetah for the Wonder Woman movie or something like that. I could see that maybe working. I'm not suggesting it, but I could see that working way more than Jessica Cruz. But I, I she's not wrong. And like Nick said, we've always been best person for the job wins out. But first of all, she's not the right person for the job. And second of all, we are being lazy. You can create... Jeff Johns created the character of Jessica Cruz in the comics. And now, eventually, somewhere down the line, if the character's popular enough, I'm sure she'll get her own book, or maybe she'll be the lead in the Green Lantern series, but not the movie, not yet. Here's the thing. You want to talk about how... Oh, it's so hard to be creative. No. Our angry fat guy, Cody Green, people who were at the con drew us as comic book characters, the three of us, and he gave us all origin stories, and they were really good. Yeah. So, if, you know, I'm not saying Cody, you know, is on a lower level, but if, if you know, if, if somebody who's not rep by a comic book company such as Cody, who's a guy who writes a lot of stuff like that, if he can make brand new comic book characters within a matter of a week, why can't these people over at Marvel and DC and, and the publishers 
make this big new characters. It's insane to me. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna use a Marvel example here because I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and I'm gonna go back to the whole Thor thing for just a second. And remember, we were upset about that because Thor is an actual Norse god and not just a comic book character. So you can't just change things willy nilly. Right. Here's what Marvel almost did right. When they created the character of Angela the Asgardian Assassin. That was a great call on their part. But then they screwed it up by not making her the feature when they decided to switch things on Thor or even Lady Sif. Instead, they just decided to make Thor a woman for just some random reason. If you're passing the torch, it would have made perfect sense to pass the torch to the sister and not some random other character. So I think that Marvel was so close, but the problem is is that it seems like we're creating these characters and never giving them a chance to have their due. I know that Angela Asgardian Assassin has her own book. How much do you hear about it? Never. 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 So, I mean, you're so close, but stop. It's getting to the point now, and some of these have been great casting choices, by the way, when things have been switched up because it was the right person for the job. But I think that, and you and I have talked about this at great length off the air, it's getting to the point now where it's starting to be looked at as, where it's, where it's getting to the point now where it's, where it's forced. Yes, yes. We're, we're forcing it now just for the sake of making it happen. And that's why we need to be careful with Hollywood taking over our beloved characters and our beloved comic book <sighs> realm because Hollywood loves to change stuff. I mean, just go back to literature in general and stuff that gets changed by Hollywood. Be careful what you wish for with all these movies and everything because what with what's what we're left with in five or ten years might not be, might be unrecognizable. And I'm glad you brought that up because our second story deals with Hollywood pretty much changing things. Like I said, what, four or five episodes back, when we talked about, you know, how they would dictate, I said, how it was going to dictate, you know, how these new comics are written. That's what's happening now with Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, James. Yeah, and unfortunately, it looks like they're revealing a new origin for Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. This is a spoiler if you haven't read Axis yet or if you're behind. Just wanted to let you know that. But they are they were revealed by Rick Remeter. In that issue of Access, Avengers and X-Men Access, it was Uncanny Avengers number two, I believe, yeah. uh, where they shed their whole origin of being children of Magneto, and now it's actually something totally different where they're created by a villain by the name of High Evolutionary, I think it is. I don't know who the hell it is. And also, I want to point out, that's different from the movie. Yes, uh, origin for them because remember, Fox has the rights to X-Men, so they can't say they're new mutants or whatever. You know. I believe Baron Von Stricker at the end cred scene said, what is that? Either gifted or miracles. That's what he said. Yes. Um, and in the Ultron thing, they get their superhuman abilities after Baron uh, Stricker used Loki's scepter to unlock their hidden potential, pretty much. And you know what? I almost don't have a problem with that route. No. Only because, and, and the reason I say that is only because. I know you can't, because of legal reasons, do it the right way, or what I perceive is the right way. So you had to, in that case, you had to come up with something different. What they did was they took existing canon from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and worked it in. That's how you're supposed to do it, if you have to do it. And what pisses me off about this whole high evolutionary thing is like, I'm sorry, Fox doesn't own the rights to X-Men comics. They no, don't. You can no. do what the fuck you want to do. And you want, you want to make them Children Magneto as they always have been? 
Make them that. Like, and that's seriously. the point. That is the point right there. And I'm sorry. Uh, in the Magneto comic that I'm reading right now from Marvel, from our friend Colin Bunn, they're his children. They are his children. Wanda and Pedro are Magneto's children. And it's funny. They're so worried about people seeing the movies and reading the comics and being confused when you're confusing different comic book series. You're act- and what they do is they kind of act like it's the same, like it's all the same line. If you want to do an alternate, like how many alternate versions of Deadpool are there right now? There's a lot. In comics. There's how many lot. alternate versions of Batman are there right now? There's, There's a, a lot. lot. Make it known that this is an alternate timeline. You can do that. I have no problem with doing one-shots, four-part series, like something like Batman Eternal, where it would be a yearly run. Let's do that. That's fine. That's actually cool. I like seeing the different perspectives, especially from different writers and artists. If you want to do different origins within reason, that's fine, too. But you're confusing everything by constantly changing stuff. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we talk about the trendy nerds, but just put it this way, okay? Uh... Let's you know one of the guys we had as one of our debaters last week was Josh, and he said how he never really got into comics. He mostly saw the movies. So imagine somebody like Josh um, going to see Avengers, saying, "Okay, I want to read more about Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver." Goes to pick up this comic and sees that their origin is totally different from what he just saw. You know, like not from like okay, they're Magneto's kids because he knows they're Magneto's kids. Yeah. Um, but he sees okay, so in the movie they're Von, you know, Von Stricker. You know, pretty much created them in a sense. Well, wait a minute. Why isn't this comic there the created by this guy or the high evolutionary, whoever he is? Like, it's confusing people. Like, it would confuse me because you have. Th- it's confusing when you have three separate origins for two characters in a variety of different media outlets. Right. It's it's just it doesn't make any sense, especially if you're uh, not not a kid necessarily, but let's say a young teenager that's that wants to start getting into comics based on the movies, and that's I think that's going to start happening with all the. With all the movies that are coming out, it's bound to happen. So hopefully that is the case. But, and I'm not saying like when Dawn of Justice comes out, they need to, DC needs to completely change their comics. I hope they don't. I hope they keep it separate. Unless you want to make a dedicated run, like they're doing with Arrow and with the Flash TV series, how you have a dedicated comic to that series specifically for that, but you leave the main line alone. Now, by the way, if Josh is listening, I'm not calling Josh a trendy nerd because Josh and I. Co- actually, Cody did. Cody well, did. Well, Josh. <laughs> well, I say. Well, I say Josh isn't only because when he and I talk, he's actually interested in learning more about the characters. Right. Josh asks. In. Josh asks questions, and that's all we've ever asked of. Yeah. Uh, so no, he's not a trendy nerd. But just as an example. But again, yeah, it's just weird. Did you have this? Like, changing of the guard and the origin again. It's very, very confusing, and it's not as freeing, freeing as our next story, James, where Epic uh, is letting anyone build games with the Unreal Engine for free. So at GDC 2015, uh, Epic pretty much took things a step further, and they made the Unreal Engine number four, which you know also comes with any future updates as well, completely free up front uh, to build games with. Now, it's still going to take a cut of game revenue, as well, and Tim Sweeney, who's the CEO and founder of Epic, said he goes, uh, "The state of Unreal is strong. We've realized that as we take away barriers, more people are able to fulfill their creative visions and shape the future of the medium we love. That's why we're taking away the last barrier to entry and going free." So the last thing I'll say before I let you take over, James, is 
After a game grosses $3,000 in revenue, Epic will take 5% per quarter, which before last year, the company took 25% of revenue after a game grossed $50,000. I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think you can't make it absolutely 100% completely free, but I think to do this, at least in the beginning, it gives that little guy a chance. You know, the person that has that idea that wants to bring it to life, but doesn't have these startup costs to necessarily make it happen. Plus, I mean, there's equipment costs there too, and other software costs that need to be put up front as well. So this is a small price to pay by Epic Games to, to allow people to get their foot in the door. And I mean, think about games like, uh, like Flappy Bird, that right. app game that came out. Who knew that that thing was just going to jump through the stratosphere and be this thing that took over the internet and took over people's phones for a while. Epic Games is banking on finding a game that's just as addictive, stuff like that, and they get on the ground floor of it, and you're you're not getting a huge cut because then this is a pretty fair amount, 5% and then 25%, pretty darn fair. So they could easily catch lightning in a bottle for every 50 games that fail, there might be one or two that end up being that huge launching pad, and then... Who do you think these people are going to turn to to want to develop their future games? Exactly. And here's the thing. It's going to benefit because we live in the Kickstarter world right now, you know, where everything's, you know, public funding and everything else, you know, for certain projects. This is going to help out that because, you know, for somebody that says, hey, you know, he's making a game that says, hey, we're using the Unreal Engine. Here's our game. Here's what it costs and everything else to make. And, you know, and people are going to, it's going to help out even more because it's going to, because think about it too. You use the Unreal Engine for free, that gets Epic's name attached to that project, right. whether it be successful or not. But, but hey, Epic says, you know what? They're using our product, and these people are funding said product. These people, therefore, are going to become fans of Epic and the Unreal Engine for even more and all its updates that's going to be coming up as well. You know, again, it's, it's really awesome to see the creative people open doors Especially somebody, a, a company as big as Epic that uses the Unreal Engine. Because this is the same engine right. that's used on the Batman Arkham games and many other games as well. Keep in mind, even before this happened, Epic cut its cost to its developers. So they were trending in the right direction already. But now to make this move takes it even a step further. And hey, shows of good faith like this will help you in the long run. So I, it's nice to see a developer looking in the long term for the future of their company. And I think that this will really make great strides towards that. But our final story, Nick, is something that has, again, kind of blew up the internet a little bit and had to do with our pal Captain Kirk, William Shatner, and his inability to attend Leonard Nimoy's funeral. Yeah, so on Saturday, Shatner revealed that he was attending a Red Cross charity event that night in Florida, and he wouldn't be able to make it to Los Angeles in time for Leonard Nimoy's funeral, which was on Sunday. And so since Shatner couldn't make the funeral, he called on, of course, Star Trek fans and fellow nerds to help him remember and celebrate Leonard Nimoy's life online via Twitter and Facebook and so on and so forth. And so he wrote uh, that his daughters, Melanie and Elizabeth, are attending Leonard's services. Uh, he said, I chose to honor a commitment I made months ago to appear at a charitable fundraiser. A lot of money was raised, so here I am. Tell me off. And then, of course, people in the media, and I'm going to bash the media in a second because um, I'm going to go off on it. Uh, Shatter also tweeted back at some of the media people who had questioned why he didn't, didn't bail on the Red Cross event and couldn't find an overnight flight to Los Angeles. Shatner then answered, walking out on the major fundraiser, wouldn't have, have you calling me a jerk for leaving a charity high and dry? 
Hmm. And he's right. It's like this is not just any charity. It's the Red Cross. Yes. Think about this. This is a major, major charity that does a lot of great work. And before you get into your rant, I just want to bring this up. First of all, good for Shatner for getting out in front of it and not trying to hide behind it. That's just who he is. But second of all, we need to understand something. This guy's a huge draw, a major draw. If he doesn't show up, the Red Cross loses tens of thousands of dollars in donations, first of all. Second of all, imagine the bad press that would go not just to Shatner, but to the Red Cross themselves if he doesn't show up for this event because people would be upset, people that are going to this event, even given the circumstances. People would be upset that Shatner didn't show up after committing to this months ago. So, I mean, I understand it's kind of a double-edged sword, but what do you want the guy to do? Well, mind you, too, it's not like... People would be pissed if you went to the event... And he was, like, there for, like, an hour or so and left. You know what I'm saying? It's like, really? Like, he, why? You can't do that either. And, and you I mean, gotta, you might as well not even show up at all. Now, here's the thing. Before I bash the media, I want to say something that Mr. Spock said over and over again, that the more, he more than once talked about that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Perfect, right there. And that's the thing. Yes, Leonard Nimoy's funeral was on Sunday. Yes, it sucks that Shatner couldn't make it. But as he said, he committed this three months ago. Now, to the media, I want to say this. You headline-grabbing, tweet retweeting, craving, like-posting, loving motherfuckers need to back the fuck off. All right? Now, here's the thing. Shatner hit it on the head where he says, if I had left early, you would have called me out on it as well. So, again... His daughters went to the funeral, and people were saying, oh, you couldn't get a flight from Florida LAX or a private plane? LAX doesn't run 24 hours a goddamn day. I've flown from LAX to New York and back, and I'm sorry, but their flights end at like 9 p.m., 10 p.m. Even charter flights have to be booked in advance, by the way. You can't just call on a plane whenever you want to at 3 o'clock in the morning. Exactly. Even if you had your own private plane, it's not like, I'm going to go to the airfield. We're going to get this and this and this and this. Because you don't know what your pilot, who you hired, is doing then. Flight plans have to be filed, too. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. You can't just hop on a plane and go into the air. And it's all labor board stuff, too. When I flew from Los Angeles to New York, I had a huge delay. My flight ended up getting canceled. Because the crew was on the clock for too long, and granted, they didn't fly anywhere that day, but because their hours were used up for that day, they couldn't fly, so they had to cancel the flight. So here's my thing to the media. Back the hell off of him. You know what? The thing is, this is a man who lost a best friend, and you're attacking him for attending a charity fundraiser for one of the, the biggest charity organizations in the world, the Red Cross. I've worked, I've done work with the Red Cross. They're phenomenal. Um, I've done cancer walks with them. I've donated blood. I've done a lot for them as well. And like I said, you can't, when, he agreed via probably a contract three months ago to this. Imagine if he violated the contract. Oh, I'm sorry. My friend, my best friend died. Granted, it's Leonard Nimoy. Can, I got to go. That could be a violation of his contract. It's possible legal things. You don't know what could happen there. And again, as James said, the Red Cross would have lost a lot of money. They would have probably made enough money had Shatter not stayed there the entire event. And the thing was, I'm sorry, but you know, Shatter's totally in the right. It's what Leonard. I'm not gonna say Leonard Nimoy would have 
you know, this is what he wanted. But think of what Leonard Nimoy based his life around and this whole Spock character. You know, he said the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. The Red Cross does more for the world than one guy showing up for his best friend's funeral when he knows that this is probably what his best friend, who knows him much better than any of us, would have wanted. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that. We don't know Leonard Nimoy any better than anyone listening to this show does. But I think if Leonard Nimoy could have, you know, down from the heavens said, you know what, Bill, it's okay. Go to the Red Cross. And here I want to do this to the media. I want to say this to the media who attacks William Shatner. I want to say this to the people who attack William Shatner. Put yourself in his situation. When was the one time where you had a commitment to some place and you had to leave early or you couldn't leave early or people bashed you for not leaving early or whatever? When was – put yourself in his position. And I'm sorry, but it's so easy to hide behind a friggin' keyboard and attack someone Say it to his face, you know, oh, how – and that's the thing is even the people who bash him, how dare you have the gall to say, how dare you stay at a charity event longer and not attend your friend's funeral? You know what? Honestly, it for people who have like 40 Twitter followers and nobody knows who they are, you can never understand what it's like to be somebody like William Shatner. And I'm not doing the whole oh, poor celebrity thing. I mean you you really don't know what it's like to walk a mile in their shoes. The the day to day of what they have to go through, especially in situations like these, just think about that for a second. Try to put yourself in that position because it's it's more difficult than I think you appreciate. Let's say we had a Red Cross benefit or even any kind of benefit at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards in Virginia Beach and we had to fly somewhere else. Do we bail? on the charity event that let's say it's our charity event too, that we've been planning. Do we bail on that to go do something else? I don't know if you really can. No, we don't bail on that. That's the thing is that we, you don't bail on something that's important as that. Speaking of somebody who was really important to geek culture, the show, as we said, is dedicated to the life and memory of Leonard Nimoy. So stay tuned as we pay our respects to Leonard Nimoy. Our main topic coming up next on Down and Nerdy. Well, we always like to keep things fun here on Down and Nerdy, but every now and then we get serious, and this week, Nick, we're getting serious because... We decided to stop and honor the memory of a true legend in geekdom and in sci-fi itself, of course, the great Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, so people don't know Leonard Nimoy. I mean, we mentioned it earlier on the show, but he passed away on Friday at his home in the Bel Air section of Los Angeles. He was 83 years old. Now, what he died of um, was something that's known as chronic ob- obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD. It's actually the third leading cause of death in the U.S. behind heart disease and cancer. And he got it from smoking. And what COPD is pretty much, it's where airflow is blocked from your lungs and you can't breathe. Um, so there are some pictures of him going around. Him, he had, you know, the plastic tubing for, you know, for air and oxygen and stuff like that. Um, so that's what he died. It was, more, it was a respiratory ailment he died of. Uh, he mentioned last year he actually was when, you know, he announced that he had it. And he passed away, and yeah, we wanted to take this time to just remember him and just all the great things he did for um, geeks, geekdom and, and nerd culture because he solidified the importance of never forget where you're, you know, who made you, where you were, what you are. Uh, and he, like I said, he always was Spock wherever he goes. He wasn't like a lot of people were like, yeah, I played his character 
you know, he's not like the Screech, pretty much, where, you know, Dustin Diamond's like, I don't want to be known as Screech, where Leonard Nimoy is like, no, I'm Spock. You know me as Spock. That's why I'm mostly popular known as for, you know, other than being on Twilight Zone, you know, he's like, that's right. what I'm mostly known for, and I'm, Mission Impossible. I mean, I know that uh, he wrote the I Am Not Spock book, and there was times where he did struggle with those issues. I remember, uh, I think it was an excerpt from that book where he was talking about when he did uh, Caligula on stage uh, at a theater in Texas, and he said there was a line in the play, and I'm paraphrasing here from the, from the book, uh, there was a line in the play where it talked about being, lo- where it said something about being logical. And yeah. he said, I dreaded it, because I knew the second those words came out of my mouth, there would be a laugh in the theater, or somebody would say, oh, that's the Spock line. He said he always dreaded that, because you know, it, you, he always embraced it, but at the same time, I think that he wanted people to know that he was more than just Spock. Yeah, and I think that was the point of that book because I mean, think about it. They, he had a folk album. He was a yeah. ph- he was a photographer and a pretty darn good one. I mean, the guy was very talented. He directed films and everything else. And I mean, you know, that's the thing. I'm glad you brought up his folk album actually because we actually asked our friends and our fans uh, on our Dinary Facebook page uh, to post some of their uh, favorite Larry Nimoy moments, and Daniel actually wrote us, and he said, I was never a big Star Trek fan. However, I am aware of his impact on the sci-fi world. Everyone knows Nimoy, Trek fan or not. This may be weird, but my fondest memory was his folk record he released because my brother had it on vinyl. I listened to it quite a bit growing up. Hashtag showing my age. Uh, Speaking of showing our age, um, it's funny because when I was growing up, and I think that to the degree this still exists, but not as much as it did back then. When yeah. I was growing up, you were either a Star Trek fan or a Star Wars fan. There was yeah. no in-between. However, for me, I always kind of treaded that line. I've always been more of a Star Wars guy, and I will freely admit that here. But I always treaded that line. At the same time that I'd be watching uh, Star Wars, I would still watch Star Trek, the original series on TV when they would rerun it when I was a kid and stuff like that. And the motion pictures, I would always watch those. So for some reason, I never, it was never really the us against them mentality. I think a lot of the reason for that was the Spock character, because one thing that I think Spock did was he made being smart and being a scientist cool. He made that somebody, he made that somebody you wanted to be. And there really, really, if you think about it, wasn't a whole lot of that going on at that particular point in time. Exactly. And the thing is like with Nimoy, like I said, he just personified geek culture what it's all about and like I said he was always one of those guys like he was always funny like he tried to make people laugh and you know um, Matt Slay we're gonna have him on in a couple of weeks and then we'll have him talk about his Nimoy story and it was one of those things where he did something for Matt and Matt was just like oh my god like it was one of those things you know biggest smile on his face and that's the that, that's the cool thing you know like you know he could go up to Leonard Nimoy and just talk to him and just have a cool conversation with him and you know it was it was really awesome you know he was Galvatron for fuck's sake too you know I mean yeah the Transformers uh, animated movie the, the first one that a lot of people don't even know anything about what's wrong with you people <laughs> exactly um but no, that's the thing. It's like Nimoy is just—he's gonna be really, really missed. And the thing is, just it, you look at like the saying "live long and prosper," and what it, I looked at it as it was a sign of do something that makes you happy, and may it you know bring you a long life and happiness and prosperous. Maybe prosperous. You know, that's the thing. Like you know, with this podcast, you know, it makes us happy. Um, you know, we're it's, we're prospering off of it in many different ways. Um, and it's just, you know, it's really, it's awesome. 
And so, you know, it's like, it's always, it's, it, the live long and prosper is just like, you know, find something you're good at in a sense. You know, it's like my aunt, my aunt who passed away a couple months ago, you know, she said, I wish you all the best. That was like her live long and prosper. You know, that's the thing. You know, it was always one of the best for somebody, never, you know, wanting something bad to happen to someone, always having, having a, a level head in your shoulders and just going out there and doing the best you can. I think it was, in a way, it was redefining the word prosper, where most people, when they hear prosper, they think financial aspect. And I think that <coughs> live long and prosper kind of redefined that and that it's almost as if to say life's too short not to be happy. Yeah. So whatever you feel makes your life prosperous. So like with my family, that's prosperous for me. That's something that I'm proud of. And that's something that's making my life worthwhile. Like, like you said, doing the show is another thing. And just all the great things that are going on in the world. I mean, you could focus on the negative. I choose to think, focus on the positive things that are going on. And that's how I choose to live long and prosper because, you know, happy life, happy wife, that whole thing too. Yeah. That, that, that factors into it as well. So, I mean, I think things are going pretty well right now. So if, if I, th- I think I'm certainly living the uh, Leonard Nimoy dream as it were. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with me, it's like, you know, I have certain... I'm not going to talk about them, but I have certain things going on in my life that are hindrances in a sense, uh, some some certain things that are coming up, you know, some trials right now. But, you know, I look at the positives. I look at my friendship with you and, you know, the podcast, my family, and there are certain things I have. You know, and the thing is, is like trying to find that silver lining, and you know, in your life. And, you know, that's the thing is just you look at this and you look at his passing. I mean, his passing, my God. Uh, Matt Slay actually told me um, – there was uh, some con, I believe, going on out west, and they made the announcement, you know, Leonard Nimoy's passed, and he said, somebody took a photo, everybody stopped what they were doing, and everybody threw up the Live Long and Prosper sign. That's got to be a cool shot. We need to find that and put it on our Facebook page. For yeah, he said, he, said, he said it was kind of creepy in a sense, because, you know, like, it's like everybody was on the same wavelength in a sense. He was like, they all did it at the same time, and he said it was just, it was amazing, you know? I- I mean, no matter what you were a fan of, like like I said, there are some people that are more Star Wars fans. You can't deny what Leonard Nimoy meant to everything that we hold dear now. I mean, think about it. The, the live long and prosper symbol, the sign, is one of the most recognizable symbols probably, not just in geek culture, but in the world. You throw that up to somebody, whether they're a nerd or not, they probably know exactly what it means. Think about it. The start of cons in general... Yeah, Star Trek was a major reason for cons even existing. Star Trek was one of the first entities to actually have its own con based on itself. And do you think that would happen without Leonard Nimoy and without Spock? William Shatner and Captain Kirk, I know, was an iconic character, but Spock was that was that difference in that show. He was that cherry on top of the Sunday that just made it different. Well, also, he actually, like people don't know, he fought for equality on that show in terms of pay. And, uh, like, for example, um, he found out that George Decay and I believe Michelle Nichols, uh, for the animated show, they weren't being paid or they weren't being brought on to do it. And he said, I'm not doing Spock until you bring them on. Right, and then the whole thing with uh, Lieutenant Ohura. Yeah. Kind of breaking the barriers there as well. we got to keep that in mind, too. But, I mean, it was just interesting because I, I know that one of my, some of my favorite Spock moments were always his more human elements because they drilled it into you early that, you know, he doesn't have human feelings and human emotions. So, I mean, like the single tear scene in uh, the original Star Trek 
uh, motion picture uh-huh. or uh, in wrath of Khan, when he's saying goodbye to captain Kirk for the last time, or even in, one of my most memorable moments out of all of them, though, I think has to be in uh, star Trek three, which is the only one he directed by the way. Um, and it was at the end. Cause you know, Spock's not in the movie until right towards the end when the only thing he can remember is his best friend's name. Yeah. How does that not hit you, man? Yeah. I mean, that really, that hits you hard. So for me, I mean, it was, it's easy to pick out certain memories from, from, from his characters, from him being Spock, but it was always most more the, the human stuff that always sort of got to me for some reason. Yeah. I mean, some, I mean, I was a big Star Trek fan. My mom's a huge Star Trek fan, so she would know more than I would. Um, but no, Spock is one of those things where like, some of my favorite moments is like the term fascinating. Like, Whenever you found something yeah. interesting, fascinating. Yes. You know, fascinating. Yes, definitely. Uh, you know, it, it was just, it was really awesome. Like to take a word, you can take a word like fascinating and say it in a way that makes it very memorable to the point where I want to make a meme of it, which I did on Meme Monday. Of course. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, that's awesome. You know, like I said, he was on Twilight Zone. And I love the Twilight Zone. And, you know, he, he did that. And it was just he was a hell of an actor. Like he threw everything he did into it, what he did. Um, and the thing, that's the thing is he was approachable. He's one of those guys, those actors where you, you knew he was approachable. And the work he did on fringe for anybody that watched him as William Bell on fringe being this enigmatic character who kind of crossed dimensions. And he was this figurehead for this experimentation that was going on. You loved him and you hated him at the same time kind of thing. The work he did on that show was unbelievable. And I know you're not a fan of the Big Bang Theory, but the work he did on there, the voiceovers he did in that episode where they get the old Spock, where they get the old transporter toys and yeah. one of the breaks and, and the, his Spock doll talk, the Sheldon Spock doll talks to him, the humor that he delivered in those lines for the voice, just a voiceover was unbelievable. So, <laughs> I mean, that just shows his range. Like you said, he could be funny. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was really, really awesome. Like I said, the fact is, you can't forget, he was in the newest Star Trek films as old Spock. Yes. You know, I mean, that's the thing. It's kind of like him revisiting that. And in a sense, and, you know, those were pretty much, from what I know, I believe those were those his last his last. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was his last work. Yeah. Work was 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 in, uh, darkness. in darkness. Yeah. So, can you imagine? Like, just like, the last thing he did was as Spock, and that was the last thing of his work he did. I mean, didn't it kind of have to be? I mean, could you really see it any other way? It's no. It, it's like in sports when you know a guy like I'll take people who aren't sports fans. Kevin Garnett. He just went back to the Timberwolves where he just got where he was drafted when he was a teenager. Um, he went back there and he's going to retire there. It's like that. It's like you, you, you go back to where you all started and it ends right there perfectly. And it's, it, it really kind of brings it all home. Yeah. Like you said, you know, it, it's, it's almost like, this is what I want to do. I want to not only go out on top, but I want to go out dancing with the one that brought me. And I think that that's, I know that he didn't do that on purpose. I'm sure he wasn't planning no. on, on things ending the way that they did. But at the same time, I just looked it up. That was his last work was Into Darkness. Yeah. That was his last thing. I, I know that's not how we probably wanted to go. And I mean, 83, yeah, he lived a long and happy life. But I'm sure that there was so much more that, that he wanted to do at the same time. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's like I said, you know, it, it was just like I said, when I went to have that beer and his honor my friend on Friday, you know, it was just like that. We just talked about some of the great things he did and all the great stuff he did for people in general. And, you know, he's, he's going to be missed. Um, I mean, 
we said it before you even recorded, like, you know, you brought it up and we were planning the, the show. Um, you know, he pretty much was one of the biggest founders in sense of geek culture in a sense and, and, and pioneers, if you will. Because without Spock, I don't see how Star Trek becomes as successful as it was. With all due respect to the hardcore Trekkies, I don't see how it would be as successful as it was. And and this this term gets thrown around a lot, but I think that this is where it actually applies. I can truly say there will never be another Leonard Nimoy. Exactly. People say that a lot about a lot of people, and it's with all due respect. There, He was just a different kind of guy. He was one of a kind and his talent was so singular to him. I don't see how there's ever going to be another Leonard Nimoy. Exactly. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Down and Nerdy. Thank you for listening. We're on episode 51. We're going to be moving to episode 52 next week, of course. Um, and we're going to be having the people from Harley Quinn, the web series on as guests. So that's coming up next week. But again, uh, we want to, Say thank you to everybody who listened this week. And again, everybody who came out last week for our live show, thank you very much. And again, rest in peace, Leonard Nimoy. His work, just it touched everybody, whether you were a nerd or not. His work and his words touched you in ways that some places, you know, ways other words can't. Uh, his last tweet was that he said, life is like a garden. Perfect moments can be had, but not preserved, except in memory and in memory we say thank you, Leonard, for everything you've done. And with that, we just want to say you can – if you have any thing you want to say to Leonard Nimoy or about Leonard Nimoy, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash downnerdy. Post your thoughts on Leonard Nimoy. Um, tweet them to us. I'm at Merck with one arm. You can also tweet us at downnerdy757james. I'm at James Ace with him. And, of course, be sure to email him to us as well, downnerdypodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, you can always find Star Trek comics, Fantasy Escape comics and cards in Virginia Beach. I'm not sure if Bob has the old gold key issues, but go see all the other stuff that Bob has there. And Star Trek figures as well. Hey, maybe you even got some of those. Exactly. But as always, I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, Practice safe comic degree, always bag and board your comics. Live long and prosper, and rest in peace, Leonard Nimoy.